All right, Acts 16. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 11, but we're going to read, we're going to look at the whole chapter, um, which is going to be fun because if you know me, you know that I like to take small passages of scripture and dig down deep. Um, I am actually going to take 11 through 40 and uh, we're going to look at the, the, the rest of chapter 16. So if you will stand with me. In the honor of the reading of God's word, um, I'm out of my out of my element. So if you're there, say word. word. Makes me feel better. Okay. So verse 11 is where we're going to start at. I'm going to read just through verse 15, but we're going to look at the rest of chapter 16 this morning. So Acts 16 verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for this time. I pray, God, that you will add a blessing upon this time. Help us this morning to see the truth of what your word has for us. We ask all this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The message I have for you this morning is titled Salvation by God Alone. Now, I know back in the fall we did a, a, a five solas sermon series. We looked at being justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. What, what we're going to see in this passage of Acts 16, 11 through 40, we're going to see three people who come to know Christ. We're going to see Lydia, who is a, a seller of purple goods. She's wealthy. She's, she's, uh, she comes to know Christ. We're going to see a, a, a slave girl who is possessed by a demon and is being used by that um, to make money for her owners. She is healed and saved. And then we're going to see the Philippian jailer who comes to know Christ. And so we got a lot to talk about. So I hope you all don't have lunch plans, but let's go ahead and get started. Um, the greatest question that the Bible offers and answers is the question, what must I do to be saved? It's the greatest question that the Bible asks and answers for us. Now, January 6th, 1850. Some of you may know that date, maybe not. January 6th, 1850, the great Baptist preacher, Charles Spurgeon, love that dude, on his way to church was in the middle of a blizzard. Well, this blizzard had got so bad that he couldn't make it to the church he was headed to. He instead made a shorter trip by turning 
and heading up to this primitive Methodist church. He had no idea what he was getting into. He thought he would go worship somewhere. So he walks into this church. And the guy that is preaching this message is preaching from the text, Isaiah 45, 22, that says, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. In the middle of his sermon, this is, this is coming from Spurgeon's autobiography. Uh, I would highly make, recommend you reading it. It's like 1,200 pages. It's fantastic. Um, I haven't read all of it. It's 1,200 pages. Um, but the guy, the guy that is preaching this message is looking at Spurgeon. And in the middle of his sermon, it's like if I were to look at Kurt, this guy looks at Spurgeon and says, you look miserable. And Spurgeon's like, well, yeah, I feel miserable too. I walked through a blizzard. And the, and the preacher looks at him and continues on. And he says, and you will always be miserable unless you obey this text in this moment. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. He's preaching from Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And it was in that moment, Spurgeon, Spurgeon says, There and then the cloud was gone, the darkness had rolled away, and that moment I saw the sun. I could have risen in that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It was in that moment that he comes to know Christ is when he looks to Jesus. Now Spurgeon, Spurgeon was raised in a godly home. His, his father preached. His grandfather was who had a huge impact as a pastor on him. Spurgeon would read the Puritans. He loved John Bunyan. And he spent time learning about theology, learning about Christ, but it wasn't until this time. He, he, he knew the Bible. In fact, as he was hearing this sermon preached, he's criticizing the preacher. He's like, he's, I don't know if I would have done that. And he, and then, but then he gets saved through this message. All these things within his, within his, his life, these tribulations, these trials, even this blizzard he was walking through. God used all these means to bring Spurgeon to a point of knowing Jesus Christ. God used all these means to bring Spurgeon to a point of being saved. And let me tell you this morning, he's doing that for you today. Whether it is to be saved or whether it is to grow in Christ and to know him more. God's using all these means. It'll be your family, your job, people you run into, how bad your day is. God's using all these means for his purpose and glory that you may know Christ and glorify him. So the main idea I've got for you this morning is this. Apart from the work of God, we cannot know Christ as Lord. Apart from the work of God, we cannot know Christ as Lord. And we're going to see the three people within this text they came to know Christ as Lord through God's work within their lives. First, let's take a look at, let's take a look at Lydia. Verse 11. So, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. Now remember a couple weeks ago when we left Acts 16, Paul received a vision of a guy saying, come to Macedonia and help us. 
and Paul and Timothy and Silas and now Luke have all decided to head to Macedonia, confirming this as a call that they need to go and preach the gospel. This is not, this is not some social type of rescue. This is not some, we're just going to go down and build some ramps and, and, and serve people. It's, we're going to go and preach the gospel to the people in Macedonia. And this is where we are now. Remember, God shut all these doors. Paul was going to head to Asia. God shut the door. Paul, Paul was, was, uh, was going to go, uh, somewhere else. Mysia or Bithynia. And then God shut the door and they, he, he couldn't go any further. And this is why God had plans for Paul and Timothy, Silas and Luke to go to Macedonia. And more specifically, they're in the area of Philippi. This is where we see the planting of the first church in Philippi. This is where the letter that Paul writes, the book of Philippians, is written to this church that is being established here in Philippi. And it's all by the work of God. All of it. Verse verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the, river, to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Theatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Now, this doesn't mean that she was a believer in Christ. It means that she wasn't a full Jew, but she did worship the God of the Old Testament. And what Paul and Timothy, Silas and Luke are doing is they're showing them how Christ has fulfilled the Old Testament. He is the promised Messiah. Look to him. And so what happens? Second half of verse 14. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Remember the main idea. Apart from the work of God, we cannot know Jesus Christ. So here's... Here's my first point for you this morning. Is this. We see God's sovereignty in salvation. Apart from the work of God, we cannot know Jesus Christ. Here we see that, that it, is, it is God who is sovereign in salvation. We cannot come to know Christ unless God does a work within our lives. We see here God opened the heart of Lydia... To pay attention to what Paul is saying. How did Paul come to know Christ? Did he just think of it one day and was like, hey, you know what? I think I should follow Jesus. No, he was, he was ravaging the church. He was hunting people who believed Christ. Ravaging meaning he hated with a fierce anger. When he thought about Christians, he gritted his teeth. He was infuriated by them. He wanted them dead and in prison and he wanted them to suffer. And it was, it was because of a work of God that Paul came to know Christ. What was that? What was that work? Paul was blinded so that he may see Christ. Christ showed up on the road to Damascus. Paul or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It wasn't that Paul was looking for Jesus. He knew about Christ. He knew what was being said about him. But he wasn't going to come to know Jesus unless God did a work 
in his life. And we see it with Lydia. And let me tell you this morning, you who have come to know Christ, who, who do believe you are saved, if it wasn't for God working within your life, you would not have come to know Jesus. The Bible tells us that there is no one good. No one seeks for God. No one does good. Romans 1. Romans 5 and 6 and I mean, all throughout Romans, we're, we're being called enemies of God. We hate God. But then God opens up our hearts to the truth of the gospel. Apart from the work of God, you cannot know Jesus Christ. And we see it here with Lydia. Apart from God's sovereignty... Lydia would not have known Jesus unless, unless God would have opened her heart to see the truth of the gospel. She would not have turned to Jesus. We see God's sovereignty in salvation. God plays a role in us being saved. That should be encouraging to us. Because if we truly believe that we are depraved and that we are lost and sinful and hell-bent, then it is only a work of God that will turn us towards Jesus. And if that's true, if it is true that God sovereignly works in salvation, then why are we not telling people about the gospel? Romans 10 tells us for, 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 for people are saved through the hearing of the word of Christ. They are saved by the gospel being preached to them. They, they cannot come to know Christ unless the gospel has been told them. And as the gospel is being proclaimed to them, God is doing a work within their lives, convicting them of their sin, showing them the truth of who Jesus is. The beauty and the majesty and the glory of Christ. And if it is true that God works to save people, and if it is true that it is only by the work of God that people are saved, then we should be telling people about Jesus. Because then it's not on us. Too many of us, we get get afraid to share the gospel because we feel like, well, well, I I just don't know the answers. I, I just don't know how to share the gospel. Uh, what if they don't like me after I tell them about Jesus? What if they say something? What if they slam the door in my face? Here's, here's the thing. God works through the preaching of the word. God works through the sharing of the gospel. People come to know Christ because of God, not because of you. You don't save anybody, but you share the gospel. That should encourage us. We see with Lydia that that, that because Paul shared the gospel with her, God opens up her heart to pay attention. Verse 15, and after she was baptized and her household as well, after they believed the gospel. Can I say that? Okay. After she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. 
Not only did we see that she came to know Christ, not only did we see that she was baptized, we see that she is now showing hospitality because of who Christ is. We see that God has done a work in the life of Lydia. She has come to know Jesus. And it wasn't because she's wealthy. Her, her economic status has nothing to do with God saving her. Because let's look at the next person. Look at verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl. Completely different economic status. A slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She is possessed by a demon who is able to tell her some stuff from the future type to where she can be able to do fortune telling to make money. It's a serious thing happening here. Verse 17, she followed Paul and us. This is Luke writing, Paul and us, crying out. These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She's not lying. She's, she's telling the truth. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So why is it in verse 18, in this she kept doing for many days, Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Paul is, is, is annoyed by this because he does not need a demon-possessed woman acting like she's in partnership with Paul. This is why we actually need to be careful with church membership. We need to be careful with who we claim as brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be careful with churches we partner with. Because there will be some instances where even though what they say is true, just being in any type of relationship with them is damaging to us. What does Paul do? Paul calls the demon out. Number two, apart from the work of God, we cannot know Christ as Lord. We see God's sovereignty in salvation. Number two, we see God's power in transformation. God's power in transformation. What does Paul say in verse 18? I command you in the name of Jesus Christ. To come out of her. Not I command you in the name of Paul. The power that, 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 that drove the spirit out of the woman was not the power from Paul. It was a power from God. And let me tell you, that is transformation. Whenever we see demon-possessed people in scriptures being rescued, typically it involves a physical healing... But as the demon is brought out of the person, typically that person comes to know Christ and the Spirit of God is brought into that person. So not only is it a physical healing, it's a spiritual healing. Apart from the work of God, we cannot know Christ as Lord. So we, we need God's power in transformation. Why is transformation so important for us? 
There's this, there's so much going around the world today about God and his love for everybody. Here's the thing. God does love. And there's a general love that he has for everybody. And there's a more specific love that he has for his church. It's just like me. I love all of you. But I love my wife and my kids differently than I love you. I have a more specific love for them. It'd be weird if I loved you the same way I love my wife. It'd be weird if I loved you the same way I love my kids. Okay, Adam, go sit in time out. But we have to understand that God, that God has a love for all people. And, 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 and God does love you where you are today. But can I say that God does not want to keep you the way you are today? God's desire for you, believer, is that you would be transformed, that you would continue to grow to be more Christ-like. I don't want my three-year-old to be the same person he is today when he's 18, because then he's never going to get out of my house. I want my three-year-old to mature and grow, grow in wisdom. I want him to grow in knowledge. I want him to be a godly man. God wants us to be transformed. But now listen, listen. When we come to know Christ, we're transformed from dead to life. Okay? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. For anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. A new creation. We are, we are a new transformation. But we are to be continually transformed. Every day. We're, there's a trend, God is chiseling away at us. Transforming us into his masterpiece. Ephesians 2. We see apart from the work of God, we cannot know Christ as Lord. And we see God's power in transformation. Just as he calls this demonic spirit out of this woman, he looks at our dead souls and calls them to life. And if we want to have that transforming power, men, I know, at least I hope you do, I know you want to love your wife better. Because if you feel like today you can love your wife the best you'll ever love your wife, I feel sorry for your wife. (laughs) We want to grow, men, husbands, fathers. We want to grow in how we love our wives and our children. Ladies, you're perfect. I got no amens for that. Ladies, we, you, we, you ladies, you want the same thing to grow in your love for your husband believers we should want to continually be transformed so that we may love God more know Christ more be more like him so as we do we are able to love our spouses better love our children better just as God and Christ loves us Apart from the work of God, we cannot know Christ as Lord. We see it with this 
possessed woman. And re- remember, it's not about any type of economic status here. She's a slave girl possessed by a demon. She has nothing to her name. She has no good qualities about her. But yet God redeems her. Story story progresses here. Verse 19, but when her owners, they're upset, they saw that their hope of gain was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had, they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Let's pick it up. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and they're singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They're in shackles. But yet they're singing. They're celebrating. Let's look at number three. Number three... We need to see God's providence in tribulation. Some big words, but to make it work for my alliteration or my work in my outline, I had to use big, big, big words. God's providence in our tribulations. God's control in our suffering. We see Paul and Silas, they're imprisoned. They're encountering a tribulation here. They're in prison. They're shackled. But they are not discouraged by it. They're not brought down by it. They're they're singing. And the prisoners were listening to them. Verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Talking about... The redeeming power of God, right? When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Why? Because if the prisoners had escaped, that jailer would have been put to death because it was under his watch, his care, that those prisoners ran. This jailer was about to fall on his sword to take his own life. Talk about a tribulation. Talk about a trial. Talk about suffering. Have you you ever been brought to the lowest point? Many of us in here can think of a time when we have been brought to the lowest of lows. When we have felt like it was all over. When we felt lost or when we felt depressed or when we felt like we were alone, that there was no hope. This jailer is brought to the lowest of lows because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Verse 28, But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. We don't know how Paul saw it. We think it's probably dark in this prison cell. Verse 29, And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
This jailer who had been listening to the songs, been listening to what Paul and Silas had probably been talking about. They've been sharing the gospel to prisoners, singing about what God uh, through Christ has done for them. And this jailer has now, through this earthquake, through this trial, seen the work of God in their lives. Verse 31, And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized as, at, at once, he and all his family. Chris, Chris, Chrysostom, I think that's his name, Chrysostom, once said, it's from three, mid-300 A.D., once said about the jailer being baptized, he said he was washing the prisoner's stripes. And Christ washed away his through his belief in baptism. We see God's providence in tribulation. How? How how do we see it here? We see through the tribulation of Paul and Silas in prison, God brought them to the Philippian jailer. And then we see the tribulation of the earthquake and then the jailer thinking that his life was over. Being brought to his lowest of lows He hears the gospel proclaimed. Church, we may be going through the lowest of lows this morning. You may be thinking it's a bad day. It may have been difficult for you to even get out of bed or even to walk through these doors this morning. But can I encourage you in saying this, that God, I am choking, that God is providential in our trials and suffering to where he is going to use them for his purpose and glory Can you imagine who you witnessed to through your faithfulness? Paul was able to witness to the jailer through his faithfulness in prison. We have a family member of a church member in this church who has over the the past few years been struggling with cancer. But her faithfulness to God and seeing God's work in her life As God is strengthening her, it is a testimony. It's a testimony to people who are going through hard times. God uses our struggles to show His glory and gospel. Can we not trust Him in the middle of our trials that He's going to use them for His purposes? After the family gets baptized, which was done after they all believed in Christ. Verse 34, then he brought them up into his house, more hospitality and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. Man, the gall that Paul has to say something like that. Verse 38, the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them 
and departed. What does that last verse show us? Brothers is multiple. Just God working through Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke in Philippi has brought out a revival and has brought out a church plant. Lydia and the brothers. They encouraged them and departed. Can we trust that God is going to work through us for his purpose and glory to build his church? Because apart from the work of God, nobody will know Jesus Christ as as Lord. It is only through his work. It is only through his work that people are coming to know Christ. It's only through his work that people are coming to be saved. It's only through his work that husbands are, are, are loving their wives like Christ loved the church. It is through his work that fathers are loving their children as Christ and God the Father has loved him. Church, we cannot do anything apart from the work of God. And salvation is primarily the main thing we cannot do apart from the work of God. So may we trust Him. May we trust God's sovereignty and salvation that we may proclaim that message. May we trust God's power and transformation as we lean on Him to transform our very lives. And may we trust God's providence in tribulation so that no matter what trial or storm comes our way, we may rest in knowing that God's going to use it for His purpose and glory so that His name may be glorified and magnified and the name of His Son may be known to the ends of the earth. May we trust in that and rest in that this morning. I pray you know Jesus as your Lord and, and, and Savior. I pray that you've trusted in Him. I pray that you have trusted in the work that Christ has done on the cross for our sins by paying the penalty that we deserve. If you haven't, if you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, will you come and talk to me? You can do it during the time of invitation or you can do it after service. You can reach out to me, but don't wait. Don't wait. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for who you are. We are thankful that you are working and reigning within our lives. That We are thankful that apart from your work, we cannot know Christ because we know that your work is sure. And faithful. God, you are sovereign. You're sovereign in our salvation. You are who have opened up our hearts and our eyes to the truth of the gospel. You are who have drawn us to yourself. It is through your sovereignty that we are saved. God, you are powerful. And we know that it is through your power that we are transformed and made more and more like Christ. God, I pray that you would help us to have the courage to share that gospel. I pray that you would help us to continually lean on you for that transforming power. And God, we know that you are providential through our storms, our trials, our suffering. God, we know that you are using them for your good and your glory, for our benefit and your purpose. Help us to trust in you through that. God, you are so good to us. We ask all this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.